0: right. (laughs) We get to preach to real people. This is amazing. It's amazing. Um, Again, will everybody just do me a favor? You see back there at the corner of the sound booth, that little black camera that's kind of sitting up there in the corner? All before this, everything was done on that little camera right there. And again, I have to thank Pastor Matt Andrea Hooper, uh, Jim Fritz, Lynn Wilson, all of those back there, as well as Jim Ruskowski, John Chaffee for the ways that they ran all the wires to make these other cameras happen. I'm just blown away. I know I keep thanking people, but we got to thank people, right? We got to thank people. This is amazing. Um, And one of the things beautiful for me is I'm not restricted to this table anymore. How about that? I could move around. But we need to be together. We absolutely need to be together. We all need in our lives, life is already hard enough. And we've got to have this time that we can set apart. Or for those here, this space that we can set apart to rest together. To remember who our God is to lay down our burdens, to pick up his heart again as we go back out into the world and learn to love it. In the midst of the, ba- the busy and the crazy, to remember the true purpose of our lives and why we're here. You know, a couple days ago, as many of you know, we said goodbye um, to Miss Etta Gibbs, precious Etta Gibbs. If you don't know Etta, She served our church for 40 straight years. And so I spent uh, a lot of this past week, like many of you, just reflecting on her life and thinking, God, what is it that made her life so great? And if you know Etta, it wasn't about the accomplishments and the awards, the positions and the titles. If she cared about that, her lifestyle certainly didn't show that she cared about that. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized it was just a simple devotion That stretched out across the span of her life. And then as I started thinking about all of the men and women who have inspired me the most to trust God, to follow God, that really is the common thread that stretched across the timeline of their lives. I mean, think about for yourself for a second. Who are those people in your life that have inspired you the most to be faithful and follow Jesus? It could be somebody well-known, a Mother Teresa, an Apostle Paul, you know, Billy Graham. Or it might be somebody unknown, a family member, an unsung hero. But if I had to take a guess, my guess is, is that the thing that inspired you the most is not that they were perfect. But if you look across the timeline of their lives, you see a common thread of simple devotion to Jesus. I mean, those who have inspired me the most are those who have had this stubborn faith in the ups, and the downs, in the abundance, in the poverty, in the highs and the lows. That's what I want from my life. Don't you? That's what I want from my life. But that begs the question of why is it so easy to get distracted about what life is really about? <laughs> We're stepping out, right, from our normal day to day just to focus on who God is. But why is it so easy to get distracted? We're gonna be looking at Acts chapter 14 today. Um, I'm not sure if you brought a Bible. I can't tell you to grab a pewback Bible because they're not there. Maybe if you have a phone, you can open that. But all of this will be on the screens. You can follow with me there. But we've been continuing this journey through the book of Acts. And we're stopping this week in Acts chapter 14. Last week, we, we saw our friends Paul and Barnabas. They began their first missionary journey. They were pioneers across the Mediterranean world. Well, this week, they're still on that journey. This is still the second half of their missionary journey. And one thing that Paul and Barnabas, as they started out on this journey, they did not have this expectation that because they were following God that everything was going to be peaches and rainbows. right? There was not this false conception that all of a sudden things are just going to be easy. Well, because God called them to do this. Instead, I want us to look, and as I read this story in a second, I want you to look for two things. Number one, what are the potential distractions or diversions that they experience? And number two, how did they respond to them? Acts 14, starting at verse 8. Follow with me. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them but Jews from Antioch and Iconium and having came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead but when the disciples gathered around him they rose up and entered the city and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby <laughs> Will you pray with me? Say, God, open my heart, open my mind, change my life, have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. Talk about a wild story. Highs and lows to the extreme. Paul, how was your day? Well, you know, it all started with I healed this crippled man, and then uh, we were worshipped as Greek gods before having rocks thrown at my face. Right? Like, like how was your day? <laughs> you know, th- that's the kind of wild roller coaster that he just went through. Gods to criminals, same day. But we're going to God's word and we're asking today, what does it mean to be to live a devoted life? What does it mean? Well, while, while, yeah, these things are highs and lows What you see in the midst of this is a common thread of devotion. What does it take to live that devoted life that we all admire? Well, first, when Paul and Barnabas have this enticement, when the world throws its best at them, how do they not get diverted by glory and power? When the world is ready to give us the best of its crowns and possessions, what is the key for us if we're seeking a devoted life? If you're taking notes, this is the first blank. When this life entices us with its best, it's still all loss compared to Christ. Let me dive into that. at Acts 14.8. We immediately pick up this scene with Paul and Barnabas. They're coming upon this this somewhat backwater town called Lystra. If you see on the map, I know the people in here probably can't see super well. If if At home, hopefully it's full screen for you. Uh, But it's in that southern part of that green area Lystra is in what is modern day central Turkey. But they've already been to several towns and now they've come to this backwater town called Lystra. And remember, they're on their first missionary journey. They didn't know really what to expect as they went from town to town to town. And as they get to Lystra, Paul does what he does in every town. He begins speaking and he notices there's this man listening and he discerns this man has faith. But the thing is, this man can't walk. He was born lame. And Paul tells him, all right, stand up. The guy springs up. He begins walking. It's amazing. But the unusual thing about this story is not that they healed the man. The unusual thing, because that actually happened in several other towns. They saw God do signs and wonders. The unusual thing is the response that they get from all of this. And then when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they started yelling in their native Lyconian language. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They're speaking a language that Paul and Barnabas don't really understand. So they don't really see what's going on just yet. But they immediately assume that, well, Barnabas is the quiet, dignified one, so he must be Zeus, the father of the gods. While Hermes, we know, is the messenger god, so the chatty one, Paul, he must be Hermes. And all the while, Paul and Barnabas, like, they don't, they don't understand. They just see the frantic activity And it wasn't until they bring out the sacrifice to try to offer it to Paul and Barnabas that they're like, whoa, here's a moment of decision for them. As we travel down the road that Jesus has for us, there are many enticing highways. And I do mean wide, smooth highways promising us comfort. And glory over humility and faithfulness. But imagine that you're in Paul and Barney's tired shoes for just a moment. You've been opposed in every town you went through. This is not exactly a lucrative business to be in. In fact, the payment you got in the previous town was a threat to be have rocks thrown in your face. And now you get to this city where you have these sweet people of Lystra who are wanting to offer an ox for you and throw a feast for you. This is your moment when you could be pampered. You deserve it after all, don't you? Yeah, it's all based on a lie, but you can tell them about Jesus later. There's plenty of time. But now is the chance to just put up your feet you just say, you know what, maybe I could settle down here. Have people wait on me left and right. This would be, like I could retire in the mountains of central Turkey and have a life unlike any other. Do you think you would be tempted by that? If you say no, you are a liar. <laughs> right? We would all be tempted by that. The promise of comfort, glory, servants, all of that. But when we start living more for our comfort and glory than to honor Jesus, we've left the road of faithfulness. Let's first talk about this thing called comfort. That is, I don't know about you guys, I feel the strength of the allure of comfort on a regular basis, especially in our society that we live, where we live. There's an unbelieving world that depends on our buying power that says you deserve to be happy. And then we have plenty of false teachers saying, God wants you to be happy. Do what you want to do. He's actually here to serve you, not vice versa. You've worked so hard for what you've gotten. Why don't you do what you want with it? Or for some, it's, I don't really need God because look at all the medical advancement we have and technology. Like I can pretty much be in control of my own life. I can guarantee my success. I can, I can live the way that I want. I can, I can live my life just pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain for as long as I possibly can. But how do we know when we've decided to start walking down the road of comfort instead of faithfulness? Is when our life decisions, we start filtering around that very thing. What maximizes pleasure and minimizes pain? And if you think about it, that's exactly the same lie from the Garden of Eden. When the serpent whispered to Eve and he said, Don't trust God, eat the apple. You deserve it. Trust yourself. And at that very point, started walking down the road of comfort, more pleasure, less pain. And if that's the determining factor for how we've lived, we've left the devoted life. But we can also, if it's not comfort, there's a road right across the way that's an equal highway. Because some personalities are more prone toward comfort and ease. Some personalities, though, are more prone to becoming a bit intoxicated by personal glory or the praise of people. You know how it gets when life gets, starts treating us well? When we've been working really hard, now all the doors are opening for us, and people are listening to us and respecting us, and we have favor. All of a sudden, we start getting this inflated view of ourselves. It's subtle how easy it is to take credit for God's blessing. And then before you know it, this starts breeding a self-righteousness in us and an inability to be honest about our own weaknesses. And we start surrounding ourselves with people who will not challenge us or speak the truth to us. But instead, we just get, because no one's actually speaking honest words to us, we get really good at pointing the finger and saying, well, clearly I have it figured out. And they, they are the problem. They're the problem. They're the problem. And before you know it, we've become the last word on everything. We get on social media, we're like, (laughs) I know this is a hundred person thread here, but I have the last word that's finally going to get the conversation done. Everybody's going to go, wow, what wisdom. But when we feel as if we always have the last word, the best word, Have we not been somewhat blinded? When our value rises and falls with what people think, we've started down this road. Or when we've just stopped caring about people at all, (laughs) we've walked down this road. And how do you know? When we start making decisions in life more based on how to please people, We've gone down that road. When we start making decisions in life more about getting a position than about submission to Christ, we've traveled down that road. At this point, it's very easy to start getting confused between the difference between an ambassador of Christ and trying to be a king or a queen. And that's the seductive Deceptive enticement to serve comfort and glory. But when the world entices us with its best, it can never compare to the glory of Christ. And we see here in Lystra, they're gearing up for a party. And Paul and Barnabas finally figure out what's going on, and it says that they, they run out and they tear their garments, which was a Jewish sign of protest and horror, saying, "Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. In other words, I'm not willing to accept to be comfortable. I'm not willing to accept fake glory right now. See, I think what motivated them in this moment was that before Paul ever began his missionary journey, he made a decision. And he made a decision, as he lays out in Philippians chapter 3, that whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the what? Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When they were living their lives, they were not living for a temporary glory, but an eternal one. And see, this is what happens, though, when we come to to Jesus, when we turn our lives over to Jesus, and he takes that veil of self-righteousness and that inflated ego and the thought that I'm a good enough person, and he lifts that off and allows us to see the holiness and the beauty of God, and as we stand before him, like Isaiah did in chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, he says, as we stand before him, we realize we can't even stand up. But then when we realize that that same holy God became one of us. And that he suffered death in order to forgive us. And then he rose from the dead in order to clothe us in his righteous new life. All of a sudden, the things of this world start to look pretty vain, don't they? And as we stand before the beauty of Jesus... The glory of Jesus. All other things begin to pale in comparison to the joy, the eternal peace, and the love that sees our worst yet embraces us fully. And when all else pales in comparison to the beauty of Jesus, then the blessings of life become a resource available to our King to bring him glory. Track with me here. So Paul and Barnabas, they don't really care if they're party poopers right now, right? Like, okay, we gotta. this is going to be awkward, but we're going to have to tell them the truth here. But they see that in this moment they've been given a platform. And now that they've been given a platform, instead of using that platform as a way to build their own comfort, glory, whatever it might be, they instead decide we are going to point back and build a bridge to Jesus. And so they realize that these are... Pagan worshipers. They, they, they worship gods of nature. So they start with what they know. They said, well, you know nature, right? Well, actually, there's one God, one true God, who is over all created things. And he's had grace and mercy over you. But now is the time that he's calling you to turn from vain things and instead turn to him. So you see, they started with where they were, in order to ultimately move them to a more clear understanding of who God is and calling them to turn to Him. So I want to ask you, what are the blessings that God has placed in your life? Resources, platform, favor with somebody, friendships, a neighborhood, family. What are the blessings that God has placed in your life? It is not wrong for us necessarily to accept the promotion, the pay increase, the compliment. I pray God's blessing on all of you. But the thing is, is what is the end goal of that thing? Is that there to ultimately serve our comfort and our temporary pleasure? Or are we looking at these things as now a tool in the hands of God that he can use however he chooses? The world's best is still lost compared to knowing Christ. All right. So after being tempted as gods, Paul and Barnabas face a second temptation. that's really of the opposite kind. So one minute they're worshiped as gods and the next, well, they're treated as criminals. And they have rocks thrown at their faces. So here we go. I'm wondering how is it that after going from the heights to the depths, how is it that they just didn't get discouraged and quit? Wouldn't you? I mean, as, they, as, they, as they're pursuing, though, this devoted life, where do we go when life throws us its worst? See, when life throws us its worst, the life of Christ is our strength. Paul barely convinced them to not worship him. And then as he's moving his way, I believe, to talking about God and and who Jesus is. These rabble-rouser Jews come from previous towns and begin to, they show up and start to stir up the crowd. And before you know it, there are rocks being thrown at Paul and Barnabas, and Paul has been knocked out, or he might even be dead, and they drag him out of town, just assuming he's dead. Upon getting out of town, his disciples gather around him, and then Paul stands up. Pause. I don't know if Paul was actually dead and there was like this amazing like miracle resurrection thing that happened in that moment. I, I don't know if maybe he was just knocked out and uh, then he just woke up and got back up. But talk about a bad day. You know, I thought a bad day was having to wait in an extra long grocery line with a mask outside when it's hot. I thought a bad day was when my kid misfires going potty training. Right? Like this is a whole nother level. This is a whole nother level. But note, the rocks were not thrown at Paul because he stepped off the road of faithfulness. But while he was being faithful to Jesus... I'm going to say that again because I don't think you heard it. The rocks were not thrown at Paul because he stepped off the road of faithfulness to Jesus, but while he was being faithful to Jesus. See, there are a lot of prosperity preachers out there. Who like to tell us that the moment we start following Jesus and give them money, the moment we start following Jesus, that life is going to be easy and comfortable and happy from then on out. But the problem with that is, it's not actually what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. You will go through hard things. That the road of faithfulness to Jesus will be steep and rocky and hard at places. That's just the way he leads us. And I'll talk about why here in a second. But if we do believe that life with Jesus is supposed to be easy and comfortable and painless, then once we do, once he does lead us through a painful season, we're going to assume that, number one, either I sinned and deserve this, or number two, that God is aloof and doesn't care. Are either of those things true? That's certainly not why Paul was stoned. He had rocks thrown at him because he was being faithful. But the temptation for us is that when we experience pain, we want to quit or find an easier way. When the world throws us its worst, it's so easy for discouragement to just descend upon us like a fog. It's always amazing to me. Whenever I'm going through something hard or going through something painful, maybe, maybe your brain does this too, my brain starts rapid firing of all the other painful things that are going on in life. It's not just this thing. Now I have a long list of everything that's going wrong in the world, and now I'm overwhelmed by that list. Anybody else ever feel that way? Okay. But the moment that happens, when we start to feel that discouragement or that pain, then comes fear. Uh, Is life always going to be like this? I don't know if I can handle it. And after fear comes anger, self-pity, anxiety, depression, convincing you that you are completely out of control, that no one actually cares about you, and that it is hopeless. But fear will never lead us back to the road of faithfulness. Fear will never lead us back to the road of faithfulness. Trust me, I know that when we're in the midst of pain and we're feeling fear and overwhelmed, nothing is more real in that moment than that. Nothing. It feels all-consuming. And I say that because I've been there. But this is why we absolutely need faith if we're going to live a faithful life. Faith doesn't wait for a feeling before it gets back up. Faith doesn't need to see circumstances change before it knows that God can and will change things. But Paul, when he comes, he's not denying that pain, the confusion, that difficulties are real. But he's choosing to see them through a different set of lens. Lens of faith. I mean, he said it. Same guy who was knocked down and got back up says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Or as one translation puts it, I was knocked down, but I was not knocked out. And he says later on in chapter four, we do not lose heart. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen. The pandemic, the social unrest, The injustice in the world, the family members who aren't getting along, our health issues. We're not looking to the things that are seen, he said, but to the things that are unseen, our eternal reality in Christ. You see, he's not denying that pain is real. He's not denying that confusion and difficulties are real, but he's choosing to see through the eyes of faith, realizing that pain has an expiration date while the glory of God does not. Paul did not allow his past pain to frame his future in fear. I'm going to say that again. Paul did not allow his past pain to frame his future in fear. He allowed the glory of God to frame his future. So after being knocked down, what does he do? It's so nonchalant the way this, this passage says. Yeah, he got knocked down. I thought he was dead. He gets back up. He goes back to the town. He goes on to derby. Yeah, that's what he does. But see, as as hard as it is, pain is that reminder that we are finite and human. Pain is that reminder that we don't have it all figured out. That we are limited. And the reason why that's so important for us to remember is because when we're on this road, this devoted road of faithfulness to Jesus, there will be seasons and times when he calls us to step forward and we cannot step forward in our own strength. We simply do not have what it takes in and of ourselves to consistently be faithful. We need the power of God working in and through us in order to keep saying yes and keep stepping forward. And if we are still veiled and thinking that we are the bee's knees, if we cannot see that we are actually, we have weakness, then we will not go to God saying, I need your power. And so at times, he leads us through difficulty so that we come to him. And as Paul said, he said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Back in seminary days, Shelby and I had little money, and I was unable to afford the next semester's tuition, and I didn't have enough time to earn enough to make it happen. No cash, no time, we were discouraged. But when I opened my mailbox one day and found a letter saying, Oh, uh, you applied for a scholarship six months ago, and we're going to award this to you. I remember sitting there with that piece of paper, just thinking to myself, Man, I feel weak, but man, I feel loved. And it took me getting to that place of weakness before I actually recognized that God was the one moving us forward, not me in my own strength. And the amazing thing is, the power of God is not just available to us, but if you're a follower of Christ, His Holy Spirit is living within us. And while this life throws its best and its worst Nothing can compare to the power of Christ within us. Listen, I know, I know that if you're here or you're listening online, that most likely it's because you want to live that devoted, faithful life. You want that for yourself. At least there's something about Jesus that you crave to be true about your life. I believe that's why we're here. I don't think we, we at the end of our lives, I know that none of us want to say, yeah, I live for comfort and glory. <laughs> We want our lives to have an eternal significance. We want to live out our purpose. I don't think any of us want to say that I've lived a discouraged, negative, beat down life either. We want to live in the faith and the power of God. I think we all want that authentic life that is bold and loving, sacrificial and free. The kind of life that, that, that has a, a meaningful, rich, true relationship with our spouses and our friends. The kind of life that our kids can watch and see an example of what it means to follow Jesus. The kind of life that models that my job isn't just about me. That my job is about actually contributing to the God's goodness in this world. We want to live the life where we see God do big things in this church and big things in our neighborhood. We want that. But I think the, the, the issue is, is that we have such a hard time believing that can be true about our lives. We see Paul and we're like, that's Paul. It's not me. We think about our heroes and we think, well, I've already done X, Y, and Z. Like That's still not true about my life. But God doesn't ask us to be somebody else. He asks you to take the next step in following Jesus. In order to get down the devoted road, it begins with one step of trust and dependence at a time. Knowing that, yeah, we stumble, we fall, we're learning. Knowing that there are times when we are just completely overwhelmed. But even when we are faithless, he is faithful. But it begins by getting up. Starting tomorrow and then the next day. Beginning each day saying, all is lost compared to knowing Christ. And the power of God is within me. So what is that next step for you? Could it be that you really just need to go apologize to someone for the way that you treated them instead of consistently trying to hold on to pride and save face? Could it be that you take this discouragement, this weakness, this fear, and you just bring it before God and you say, God, I I lay this burden today and I'm going to do it again tomorrow and I'm going to do it again the next day until I just feel this thing lifted off of me. What is that next step for you? Let's pray about that. God, man, I am so inspired by the life of Paul and Barnabas. But if I admit, like, like this Bible sometimes feels a thousand miles away from my life. It feels like the way that they're living and the choices they're making, man, it's, it's, it's so, ah, it's inspiring and, I, and I, can, I can look at it all day, but God, I, I want to know how to take the next step. That even when I feel knocked down and discouraged, that I can grab your hand and that you'll pull me up, giving me the strength to take the next step. That when, God, I I realize that I've been making a lot of decisions based off of comfort or, or personal glory, God, that I come to you and I lay those things down and I say, show me how to make decisions as to what points to you. God, thank you that we get to worship together today. But we know that meeting together on a Sunday is not the end. This is just where we come to be filled up so that we can go and continue to live faithfully to you Monday through Saturday as well. So will you strengthen us, your people? In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said